You're listening to Laughing Historically with Adam Latz, Adam Cooney, and Dr. History Scholar. Welcome to the Anachronist Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lax, and we got Dr. Sage History on my right, <laughs> and Adam Coonan on the ones and twos. <laughs> All right, and we're doing? starting off with this day in history. Yeah, so on this day in history, October 9th, in 768 AD, Charlemagne and his brother Carolman were crowned King of the Franks. Uh, Charlemagne would go on to found the, the Holy Roman Empire, which, as Voltaire said, was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Mm. Wait, wait, wait. And Bef- also host no. a competing podcast. <laughs> 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 that was what their mo- that really messed up their brotherly relationship. <laughs> I was going to say, too, they crowned them king. Yeah. So they were both uh, one king of, like... They're, they were co-kings. Co-kings. Yeah. Oh, that doesn't seem like king at all. Yeah. Huh? Like, there can only be one. This is yeah. I, I, I think, uh, you know, have you either of you ever heard of Carlman, King of the Franks? Mm-mm. I have a feeling there's a reason for that. Did he get murdered? I imagine he did. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't look too deeply into it, but I imagine since none of us know who he is, that Charlemagne, you know... He wasn't... <laughs> I'm not sure if I should do a French accent or a German accent, eh. actually, because it's Charlemagne. So you flip a coin. Flip a... Oh, it's tales for the Germans running in World War II. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he did not die. He did not. He did not. He was not murdered. He just happened to fall off cliff in Switzerland. No big deal. Yeah. Is that German or Russian? He, all of his <laughs> German accents are Russian. Yeah, they all turn into actually. Russian. All my Russian accents turn into Irish, and all my Irish accents turn into German. It's mm-hmm. really it's a weird um, circle of life. Yeah, it's almost like they're all just the same fucking people. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the green parts of not America. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1635, Roger Williams is banished from Massachusetts Bay Colony and would go on with, other, uh, with others, including Anne Hutchinson, to found Rhode Island. He's probably better off being uh, banned from Massachusetts. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, I mean, again, think about what you had. I mean, there's two ways of looking at being banished by Puritans. Either you screwed up so badly, you were so uptight that even the Puritans didn't like you, or you were a normal person, and I don't know which one it is. So. I think they got banned for doggy style. We saw you through the window. Why were you looking through your window? Shut up, you're banished. Uh, in 1911, an accidental bomb explosion triggered the revolution that eventually brought down the Qing dynasty in China. How do we know it was accidental? Uh, because the people who... Uh, the bomb was owned by people and it went off when it wasn't supposed to. And they were like, well, the bomb went off. I guess we should have this revolution anyway. Like, we're all going to be hanged. Might as well be hanged for a lion as a lamb. Uh, oh. Did it work? It worked. Yeah. Oh, nice. they, they, they eventually overthrew the Qing dynasty, mm. uh, created the, the Republic of China. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, go out on a limb here and say that that didn't last forever. No. <laughs> I mean, unless you ask Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, they're still the Republic of China. Taiwan's living in the past. That's mm-hmm. really what it is. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll see. Uh, and then, lastly, on a on a personal note, in 2010, my now wife and I had our first date, seeing a, a truly terrible community theater rendition of Sweeney Todd. Oh, wow. Just terrible. Oh. Bad acting, subpar singing. A guy tripped up a flight of stairs in two consecutive scenes on the set. Where was this? I, in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, wow. their community theater not known for uh, not known for excellent theater. 
I didn't think we would get to like one of the biggest war crimes in history on the third episode. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, today, today our topic is the Fourth Crusade. And uh, just before we begin, a little bit of a a prologue. You know, uh, normally there will be there will be three parts, but I'm going to have a bit of a prologue here. That's sort of an extended introduction, sort of laying the groundwork. So the Crusades conjure images of holy warriors bent on conquest and domination. They mark one of the many low points between Christianity and Islam, and they are filled with legend and romance. Not so much today. Today we will discuss the Fourth Crusade, which is simultaneously the stupidest and most corrupt of the Crusades. That's kind of, is that saying something? Oh, yeah. Because wasn't the first one pretty stupid, too? All of them were really stupid. (laughs) It's just like a bad franchise movie. Oh, yeah. It's like... Like the, the Halloween movies, it just never ends. The like, Crusader, the Crusader extended uh, cinematic universe, really bad. Uh, you start having crusades in southern France. You start having crusades in Spain. You have them in the Baltics, and you, and if you miss one of them, you don't understand what the rest of them are about. You didn't. You haven't heard of the Seventeenth Crusade? Crusade no. in space. <laughs> yeah. You mean you need backstory to? Be yeah. To... Yeah. I think technically, too, like just as a note in a weird way like even columbus's like exploration of the mm-hmm. new world was like a crusade mm. right like it kind of became he, like he, you just attached he said, it to anything you did he said on his way back he was going to take jerusalem since he was going to circumnavigate the globe right on his way back he'd just coolly take jerusalem with his three ships and like 16 guys mm-hmm. yeah no they Is weren't jerusalem they, a port no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Pretty sure not, you know. Christopher know. Columbus wasn't the brightest of the like clearest of thinkers at the best of times. He had the confidence <clears throat> of a mediocre white man. No. Oh. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> so, before we begin, uh, a few questions. Uh, one, what is a crusade? Two, when were the crusades? And three, who were the crusaders? So, a crusade a crusade is best described in my opinion as an armed pilgrimage. It was meant to liberate, and I'm putting liberate in air quotes for our listening audience, uh, meant to liberate holy sites for Christendom without much consideration of what would come after a successful campaign. Christianity does not have a concept of holy war within its doctrines. It has just war theory, but that is an altogether different thing. Few crusaders actually stayed in the areas they fought in. Rather, they went to the Holy Land or Spain or the Baltic, fought in a campaign or two, and then returned home. The First Crusade had nearly 10,000 knights when it set off from France in 1096. After the fall of Jerusalem in 1099, there were only 500 left to defend the new kingdom of Jerusalem. Most of the knights and lords had decided that the pilgrimage was over, and they went home. So much for what they were. Now let us discuss when they were. So, just, I, I gotta be, I gotta, I gotta ask here. Yeah. When the the French were were they like the most is is the reason the French were like the first crusade is they were they the most down? Oh yeah, yeah I mean yeah. the the Pope at the time Pope Urban II is French, he proclaims the first crusade in Clermont. Now, admittedly, this is in the late 11th century, so like the idea of being French isn't quite a thing. Mm. Like Robert, Duke of Normandy, goes on the first crusade. He's the son of William the Conqueror. William the Conqueror is king of England at or William the Conqueror is dead, but his brother. So Robert, Duke of Normandy's brother, William, is king of England while he's going on crusade, but he's Duke of Normandy, which is in France. It's all very confusing. The point being that France was the most uh, Christianized state, if we can use that word, in Europe. 
Um, it is the one that had the most developed sense of feudalism and chivalry, like the idea of having knights uh, was very well developed there. And um, it was very well connected to the papacy. So mm -hmm. the, the combination of these things means that the sort of the core of most of the crusades will be French. Um, to the point where most, uh, when, when you, if you read through um, Islamic sources, they'll just refer to crusaders as Franks. All of the crusaders are Franks. Doesn't matter where they're from, they're just, they're the Franks. There was that one Belgian who was like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> or all those English people. <clears throat> yeah, that, that too. So, so they hadn't really become French yet? Uh, yeah, their, their I mean. Frenchness I, wasn't. Yeah, I mean, they spoke French, but like the problem is, is that in the Middle Ages, there's no sense of nation. Right. Like it, you just you don't have that sense. Um, if you were to teleport uh, any French person from the 11th century into the modern day and go, where are you from? They wouldn't say France. Right. They would. If you said, what's your country? They wouldn't have said France. They would have said they would have given you a region of France. So, um, so like the tradition of losing and surrendering hadn't been. No, 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 no. The tradition of fighting wars poorly was definitely there. But uh, <laughs> they. Uh, and, and somewhat stupidly. But they, I would just like to back up and quick say that if we, if we transported someone from France to now, I'd be like, hey, this is a pocket pussy. And then I would just see what they did with it. <laughs> no? No, I'd be like, have you ever seen a 90s porn? Because it's going to blow your mind. <laughs> Could you imagine you showed a minute? All right, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> so Cut when were the Crusades? The Crusades were conducted between 1095, when Pope Urban II preached the first crusade at Clermont in France, until 1291 when Acre, the last crusader stronghold in what is now Israel, fell. There were at least five great crusades and many more minor ones. Only one of the crusades, the first, was even remotely successful. So all of them fail by their own admission. These 200 years of crusades coincide with what is generally called the High Middle Ages, a point of European history where things were at their greatest since the Romans. The High Middle Ages were ended by the arrival of the Black Death in the middle of the 14th century. The Catholic Church and the nobility were the most powerful aspects of society, with the monarchs in this period being only, only being more powerful if they were strong-willed. So, for instance, King Edward I of England is within this high medieval period and is a very strong king of England, but that's because King Edward I didn't take no shit from anybody. Mm. Um, if you weren't that you were not being king didn't really matter so why did these crusades keep happening they were just like we're not learning from the past uh, like, no they just got to keep going well until... and and that and that leads i think to lastly who were the crusaders i think that's a really good question uh, why do they keep happening uh, and the reason is their religiosity like that is that is the part that that needs to be understood is that this was a genuinely religious experience so finally who were the crusaders as i alluded above the crusaders were for the majority uh, were for the majority of those who took the cross, and that phrase is the term used for going on crusade, taking the cross. You, you sewed a cross onto your uniform uh, as a military pilgrimage. It was a genuine religious experience. It is fashionable today for both pious and non-pious moderns to discount the religiosity of the crusaders. For the religious, it would be comforting to think that some of the greatest crimes committed in the name of your religion are an aberration conducted by ill-designing men. This was my point of view for a very long time, because as a Catholic, they're deeply uncomfortable. It's, um, no, it's the same thing you get every time you ask 
both a, like a hardcore left-wing communist mm-hmm. and a hardcore right-wing libertarian mm-hmm. you're like oh so what do you think of somalia mm-hmm. and the libertarians like that's not real libertarianism mm-hmm. and they're like oh what do you think of the soviet union you're like that's, that's not, not real communism yep. it's the same thing yep. it's like that's not real christianity mm-hmm. not the fact that there was millions of them and mm-hmm. they all had crosses on them that mm-hmm. wasn't so, endorsed by the Pope himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like the He's, Pope was like, "Hey, go murder people." Yeah, <laughs> um, and so so this is false. I think that their religiosity was was genuine and is a part of that tradition. Uh, for the atheist, it is laughable that any group of powerful men would take seriously the propaganda of religion. These people must have had an ulterior motive. This is sort of the Marxist view of the Crusades was that they were like a, a sort of proto-colonial venture, right? Uh, which is also not true. Uh, this is false. The Crusaders contained multitudes. There were uh, they were expeditions that dwarfed the campaigns of secular lords and kings. Well, and plus, it can't be proto-colonialism if you're going after a state that's just as powerful as you. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> right? that, like, you can't be like, oh no no no, like they're a very powerful military <laughs> force. Let's fight them. Not yeah. oh hey, you know, we've got machine guns and they have spears, so mm-hmm. we win. You know, it's not the yeah, uh, and 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 the size of crusades, even even allowing for medieval scholars. The medieval chronicles are horrible at counting numbers. Every every medieval chronicle goes, this guy raised 100,000 men. And that's almost never true. But the Crusades are genuinely massive armies by the standards of the Middle Ages. That's because no single person in the Middle Ages could count past 75. So you, so you had to get multiple people who could count to 75 <laughs> all together in a room. And they'd be like, all right, did you get to 70? No, you started. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they counted people. That's how they did it, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought like these militaries were kind of like... They became like marauders. Yeah, oh, they that, like didn't make it. They're like, okay, we're just gonna plunder the countryside and kick out the Jews. Like uh, that, that happens a lot. Yeah, no. Uh, but to give you, like the example I always use is the the First Crusade and and William the Conqueror's conquest of England take place about at the same time. They're about thirty years apart. The Battle of Hastings, which decides William the Conqueror's invasion of England, he's got about seven thousand men. His opponent has about six thousand men. So thirteen thousand men on the battlefield for a, a battle that will decide the fate of a nation, right, of a kingdom. And that's all they could bring to bear was 13,000 men total. The First Crusade had 50,000 men in it, right? And, that, and that's like modern estimates. That isn't chronicles. That is like modern estimates are the First Crusade put 50,000 men in the field because people were motivated by this. Whereas like the idea of a king telling you what to do, yeah, but God himself... Now that will well, and that will get people off their behind. I'm sure we'll get to this, but mm-hmm. like, there wasn't there the whole like, like it doesn't matter how many like people you murdered or kids you fucked. Like, if you do the crusade, you're good. Yep, right? we'll get to like, that. Okay. It's all about anything is about labeling. It's mm-hmm. about yeah, yeah. like, uh, yeah, yeah. So well, and and it's about labeling, but it's also about like what motivated people, right? Since there's no sense of nationalism, like I said. Religion is the only through line within European society in the Middle Ages. That is the only thing that every single person in in Western Europe has in common, um, is that they're all Catholic. And when I say they're all Catholic, I mean like 99% of them are. Uh, There are no Protestants, right? Like this this is before the Reformation, and the Jewish population of, of Western Europe is relatively small so we're looking at like countries like france and england and the holy roman empire are are 
overwhelmingly Catholic, and that's the only thing that all of the people in these states have in common. Uh, because if you were to tell them they're all French, they don't think that. But mm. you tell them they're all Catholic, yeah. Um, so being that the Crusades were large, you could find the steadfast and the feckless, the devout and the apathetic. The men who waged the Crusades were, by and large, men of very fierce faith who believed that they would be rewarded in the next life. One of the books I used to research this episode is called The Dream in the Tomb by a guy named Robert Payne, and the introduction of that book describes the title. The objective of the First Crusade was the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, which is supposedly built over the tomb of Jesus Christ. When the First Crusade arrived in 1099, they found that the tomb no longer existed. So either the church is in the wrong spot or it was demolished. It doesn't matter. The, the tomb isn't there. And quote, But in the eyes of the crusaders, the tomb was still there. For them, the representation corresponded to the reality. Their faith was strong enough to permit them to believe in the physical existence of a tomb that no longer existed and therefore could not be seen. They saw it with eyes of faith. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put the brakes on it. They saw it with... Are you sure it wasn't like a kind of a sunk cost fallacy type of situation where it's like, man, we sailed all the fucking way here with our dumb goddamn horses and all these peasants and ever like it can't not be here. Like it so, can't so have... I would I would only buy that. And and I'm sure there were some who did. Uh, again, you can have multitudes of, of reactions. But the crusades are genuinely popular as opposed to a lot of things in the Middle Ages. And when I say popular, I mean like Everyone was on board for them. If there had to have been people who went home, and, and maybe and maybe you're right, maybe it's some cause fallacy, but then it clicked in their head, no, I saw it with eyes of faith, but that was enough to motivate another 40,000 men 30 years later for the, for the Second Crusade and then another 200,000 men in the Third Crusade and so on. Oh, I'm not saying it's not motivational. Right, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of dumb shit in religion that's motivational, right? Like, like prosperity gospel. Yeah, it's like, that hey, is you know dumb. how we have a gold-plated airplane? Give us money, and you can have one too. Like that. There's, there's no level of logic that makes any I sense. I mean, there. and and but that's and that I I guess points to the fact that I was trying to make earlier, which is that these are genuinely religious experiences, right? They, they, you can't necessarily describe them or understand them in a purely logical or rational. Wait, there's a reason why the Crusades didn't continue. Okay. Right? Like, they don't make sense. And, and even within the medieval context, they but don't they, make enough sense to continue on past a certain date. But they, they continue on for long enough mm -hmm. be because there's, like, a deep inner desire for it to, to make sense, oh, yeah. even though it doesn't. All right, let's, I want to draw our first modern corollary. Okay. Hippies. <laughs> 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 Just think about it. No one elevate. You remember when everybody went around the Pentagon to try to levitate like, it? Yeah, they were, were going to levitate the Pentagon, and then they all just ate shit, right? It, but like, they're still hippies. <laughs> like seventy years later, like they didn't levitate the Pentagon. But you know what? Uh, we still live in vans and national parks and have like three fucking dogs to every person. <laughs> like, it's like, this is no, no. You see what I'm saying? This is a human condition thing. Yeah, right? and, and you know what? I, I think that's a reasonable analogy. And every crusader is rolling over in their grave, yeah. being compared yeah. to hippies, which I think is a it's fine, but yeah. Well, um, and every hippie's rolling over in their 
I don't know. They're they're a caterpillar cocoon because they're, 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 they're all reincarnated. They're, they're, their bongs are burning right now, hmm. having been compared to crusaders. Oh, they're uh, they're they're rolling over in whatever animal form they were reincarnated as. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're chipmunks and shit. Stupid hippies. Um, <laughs> How many of them are shrimp? You think? That's a bummer. <laughs> not enough. <laughs> so, with this lengthy introduction finished. Let us turn to the crusade that will make both believers and non-believers shake their heads with incredulity. The fourth crusade. So part one, the plan and the fleet. The third crusade ended in 1192 in this sort of weird draw. Richard I, the Lionhearted of England, who was from France, didn't speak any English, had won most of the battles, but was unable to take Jerusalem. Thus the holy city would remain under the control of the Muslim empire of Saladin but Christian pilgrims would be allowed to visit once again. Back in Europe, young, idealistic, aristocratic nobles throughout France dreamed of martial glory in the Levant. It was simply what nobles did, along with hunting and tournaments. Meanwhile, poor preachers viewed the idea of a new crusade as a societal disinfectant, a way of uplifting the collapsing morals of Christendom and removing the stain of sin. Pope Innocent III, elected in January of 1198, immediately began preaching a crusade. Wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. I, I want to I talk a little bit more about this sanitation. What did they mean it would sanitize Christendom? Like, get rid of the shittiest people? Uh, no, it would... Um, this is a, a kind of a, a very sort of... Like, you know, the way early 20th century right-wingers in, in Europe talked about war as a disinfectant. That, like, the weak would die. Right? <laughs> like, this sort of social Darwinist sort of thing. It's psych, it was everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's similar to that. But in this case, it would be, uh, it would purge the sin from society. Mm. Right? Because all of these people would go on crusade and they would either be uplifted by being on crusade. Right? Become better people. Or they would die v- gloriously and, and, and uh, saintly. On the crusade, and either way, that's bonus points. This is why nobility is awful. Oh, like, they, had, they, had, they had nothing better to do besides dream of like killing people. Essentially, oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. it's just like we're gonna send people to be cannon fodder before cannons do existed. You know it, it reminds me of. It reminds me of that. Do you remember that episode of Thirty Rock? Do you ever watch Thirty Rock? Uh, a little bit. There was an episode where Liz Lemon, the the main character in the show, uh, she. <laughs> She gets a bunch of money and she decides like she's just gonna live the life of like a like I don't know a New York uh, like debutante or like New York uh, socialista is that the word I'm looking socialite? for socialite socialite yeah yeah but but it's like you you don't work mm-hmm. you just have money and you mm-hmm. just like hang out all day and she started hanging out with these other women. And they're all like, yeah, I go get a massage every day, and then I do a couple of laps in the pool, and then my aromatherapy, and she does it for six days. Mm-hmm. And then on the seventh day, all the women are like, now we're doing a fight club. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you think we could just, it's like the same with the nobles in mm-hmm. Europe. You think we could just fucking hunt foxes and like just raid local villages no, for no. hot young women? We can't do that all the time. That's way too chill yeah we, we gotta prove we, our manliness some yeah, way yeah. <laughs> like what well, and and they're bored and yeah. they're and you know because they don't have work like i mean you know uh, uh to use a, another example have you ever watched downton abbey yeah no. one, my, one of my favorite scenes from that is like i think it's in the first episode where maggie smith says what is a weekend 
Hmm. Right. If you've never worked a day in your life, oh, you yeah. why are Saturday and Sunday so different than Tuesday and Wednesday? One of the one of the servants was like, "Well, in the restaurant industry, it's actually Monday and Sunday. Uh, <laughs> they're busy Friday and Saturday. What can you do?" <laughs> they were all Irish because yeah, like potatoes Irish all died. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ireland still has fewer people now than before the potato famine. Like the the Jesus. devastation of the between between the number of people who died and the number of people who left, Ireland's population still hasn't recovered. Hey man, silver linings. <laughs> oh, I'm a quarter Irish, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is the only reason I'm here. That makes you one quarter wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually a little Irish. The other too, the so. other the other three quarters of the reason I'm wrong is because I'm German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, that's the real. <laughs> So, uh, Pope Innocent III, who was elected Pope in 1198, immediately began preaching another crusade. Uh, And he did two things to convince people to take up the cross. The first, quote, To those men who refuse to take part, if indeed there be, perchance, any man so ungrateful to the Lord our God, we firmly state on behalf of the Apostle Peter that they will have to answer to us on this matter in the presence of the dreadful judge on the last day of the severe judgment. (laughs) Ha! Okay, so for our listeners, I spent about two years in the Dominican Republic uh, doing some relief work. That sounds a lot like a Dominican doña, a Dominican woman trying to get you to do some shit you want to do. <laughs> sounds like, oh, oh, so I guess like uh, God's creation isn't good enough for you? And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, I guess I have to do this, don't I? Wow. Yep. Wow. And they did it, didn't they? Yeah. So Innocent <laughs> is laying down the marker that any good Christian... Talk about guilt trip. Yep, who failed to go on the crusade would have to answer for it at the end of time. Right? And a couple of them were like, well, how long is that? Look <laughs> 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 like, at their watches, like, whoa. All right, that's a minute. You know, at least a few of them did. So, and then the plague happened. And they're like, it was way sooner than we thought. <laughs> and, then, and there was Mongols in between. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. real bad. Second, he offered indulgences to those who crusaded. Quote, We, trusting in the mercy of God and the authority of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul, by that power of binding and loosing that God has conferred on us, although unworthy, grant to all those submitting to the labor of this journey personally and at their expense full forgiveness of their sins of which they have been moved to penitence in their voice and heart, and as the reward of the just, we promise them a greater share of eternal salvation. So we can see here that Innocent is on the one hand condemning any man who fails to go on the crusade, while on the other hand offering total absolution of sin for doing so. Given the faith of the average person in the late 12th century, this is a very powerful motivator. He also never listened to uh, Schoolhouse Rock's uh, Conjunction Junction because he put a cu- way too many commas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, you can. Uh, this is a, it, this was a this was an, a eureka moment for me. Uh, in in college, which is why is everything before the 19th century so freaking hard to read? And is they have no editors. There are no editors before the the 1800s, so everything's a first draft, um, and it's never good. Like the only readable piece of Renaissance literature that I've ever read is The Prince, mm. uh, and it's because we know that Niccolo Machiavelli spent so much time on it, revising it, going back over it. Looking, it's the only reason it's readable. It's I. I mean, in their defense, 
if you just wrote a whole manuscript with mm-hmm. a fucking feather, you probably oh, wouldn't want to do it again. And that's one of the things, like, I, 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 I'm a lector at my church. I read at my church. And, and I can't stand reading St. Paul's letters. Fucking little flex. Cause, yeah, I know. St. <laughs> Paul's letters, there's just so many run-on sentences. So yeah. many commas. And it's very hard to figure out where the cadence is supposed to be and where the emphasis is supposed to be. Um, no. But yeah, no. So yeah, Innocent needed an editor. Um, <laughs> I Just on a side note too, one of my favorite things I've ever heard on a history podcast was a letter from the Pope. I don't think it was Innocent, but it was, mm-hmm. it was one of the Popes to the Mongols. Mm-hmm. And it was like the intro to the letter. It was like, if you like, you must succumb to us, the holy holder of the light of Jesus, who blessed by the Lord as his son, son of Mary, the mm-hmm. virgin. Like, like it, and it was like sentence after sentence of like, no, 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 for real, we're legit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, like sentence after sentence. Well, I would always tell my students, we talked about the American Revolution, is that King George III's full title uh, is my, one of my favorite things. Uh, by his, Brita- uh, his Britannic Majesty, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain and of Ireland, Duke of Hanover, uh, Elector of the Holy Roman Empire, Defender of the Faith. You had to refer to him as that in every letter that you started. Wow. And then you could call him His Majesty after that. But you had to put in the whole, the whole treatment. What if you did His Majesty and then that after no, that wasn't, that was, no. You, you did it wrong. Did, did he you, just, you, like, start off with one name and they added some over time? Like there oh, yeah, just no, different no, titles. Yeah, 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 like, no, you, add, you add titles over time. Uh, the reason they're called Defenders of, like, uh, Charles III still has Defender of the Faith at the end of his title because the popes gave it to Henry VIII once 500 years ago. <laughs> so the, the kings of England have just kept that title on the end of their for 500 years so the fact that henry viii told the catholic church to go fuck itself doesn't matter nope. they were just still mm. like no no nope they're still defenders of the faith even after they left catholicism nope that's like that's like the monarchy's version of like no takesies backsies yep <laughs> that's literally all monarchy is no takesies backsies no takesies uh, you know yeah. you don't vote for a king so the first group to answer the pope's call was led by an idealistic young nobleman Theobald III, Count of Champagne, the younger brother and son of crusaders who had died in the Holy Land. He was only 20 years old in November 1199 when he entertained most of the nobility of northern and eastern France at his castle. There he asked them to take up the cross and liberate the Holy Land. Theobald and his associates sent ambassadors to Venice to purchase ships for the invasion. Theobald never left France. He died at age 22 in 1201. Alcohol poisoning? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was this old trip like financed by champagne money? Like, <laughs> quite possible. <laughs> we'll hey, get to that. Don't discount the snail. All right, that's snail the fi- money. The finance yeah. part is gonna is gonna come into play here in a moment. <laughs> the second group was led by, and I can't make this name up, Folk de Nuit, a rabble rousing parish priest. Wait, wait. Can you say that again? Folk de Nuit. De yeah, the wait, French. Wait, Adam, a, you try. De Nuit. There you go. That's, that's, that's <laughs> you do a really good job. God damn it, you're cultured. <laughs> How long did you take to practice that? How long? I had I had to do it a couple of times because that was the problem when I when Denue I wrote this. nineteen times <laughs> when I when I when I wrote this uh, and then I, when I finished it when I revised 
these things. I read them out loud to myself. And I got to this, these set of paragraphs and I went, there's a bunch of French names in here. This sucks. <laughs> um, so you'll notice I don't use his name ever again. Yeah, the trick is to pretend your tongue doesn't have any muscles in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I, I am the thumb. I told, I, uh, <laughs> someone was telling me that they thought French was a beautiful language. And I go, it's a, it's a lazy language. Yeah, you just yeah. don't pronounce most of it. And they go, no, no, it's very beautiful. And I told them, merci beaucoup is like 16 total letters. And you just don't pronounce most of them. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he was a rabble-rousing parish priest in Paris. He called for the crusade to alleviate the sinfulness of French society. If the nobles, clergy, and commons went to war with the infidel, they would be cleansed both by the acts of selflessness needed to go to war and also by the blood that would be shed. He would also never leave France, also dying in 1201. He was like... Seriously, guys, I, I mean it. <laughs> Basically, so the French save all their tongue energy for, you know, a little, little bit of that. I I only know that because of a line from Braveheart I heard once. Actually, you know what I'm talking that, about? That that historically accurate documentary. Yeah, yeah, that documentary <laughs> and I, about how the Queen. <laughs> about how the queen how William, who was married to a gay guy Wallace, was like, how William Wallace stole the king of England's girl yeah 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 that's yeah. definitely <laughs> it, the king of England William Wallace the first steal your girl guy at the party like, while he was wearing a kilt which wouldn't yeah. be developed for another 300 years William Wallace would bring it <laughs> <laughs> wow. Not okay. important. For those of you just listening, which is everyone, all 17 of you, uh, Dr. Sage Scholar, the look of disgust on his face was. I was like, like he might have been looking at me like he had to bail me out for a DUI. That's like how hard he looked. He was like, Piece of shit, <laughs> Mel Gibson. Oh, I bet you're gonna get. I bet you're gonna get held at the side of the road in California and say a bunch of anti-Semitic stuff in the future. Oh, you already did that, Mel Gibson. All right. Uh, Mel Gibson, uh, like uh, who, Ridley Scott. Mel Gibson and Ridley Scott are are two filmmakers who make movies uh, that I want to like, and I can't get past their historical inaccuracies. Like Gladiator is one. Uh, Kingdom of Heaven. Gladiator's not accurate. Uh, it's kind of, so. <laughs> no, like, so Ridley, Ridley Scott is is really insidious because Ridley Scott always gets all the costumes right, and all of his characters make no sense. Every character in a Ridley Scott historical movie is a American who was born between 1945 and 1970, but they just happen to live in a different period of time. They, no character in any Ridley Scott movie ever acts like a person from that period of time. Name and a movie. Name a movie. I'm a... Uh, so Gladiator is one. Oh, like the, is yeah, like the the idea that Marcus Aurelius told one of his generals on his deathbed to turn Rome back into a republic. No. I was never going to. Ha- I like Marcus Aurelius. I think he's a decent dude. Definitely not a like. Secret closet Democrat. Well, or and, like, and, oh, well, you, no, 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 but I know a bit about yeah. Roman history. This is huh. one place where I'm Dr. Sage Scholar, actually. <laughs> and the Republic was not like, first of all, 
the Republicans mm-hmm. of ancient Rome fucking hated democracy. Oh, yeah. Like, what kind of dumb shit is this? <laughs> We're just going to let anyone who owns anything vote? Oh, like, no, no, no. We got the Senate. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but another, another example of a Ridley Scott movie is a movie about the Crusades called The uh, Kingdom of Heaven, mm-hmm. which is a very good movie in terms of the, the costumes all look really good. It's one of the few medieval movies where, like, the characters seem to be wearing actual armor. Like, it's, it looks like steel rather than, you know, paper mache or foam <laughs> that they're wearing. But he has a member of the Knights Hospitar in that movie. The Knights Hospitar are a crusading order. They, they are priests. They are monks who fight non-Christians. That's their whole job. And he has one of those characters basically be like, I'm an agnostic, which is not even remotely possible. Someone who's taken vow, holy order vows is not going to be like, nah, I'm not sure if God's really real or not. No, these are fanatics. Wait, but, but no, no, but when you join that order, you got all the ladies. No. no. <laughs> By virtue of the holy order of celibacy. It's one of the three vows you had to take. Oh, all right. You know what? Then I'm, I believe you. Vowing for vaginas. <laughs> no. That is, that is the most un-Catholic thing you could do. Yeah, the vow of Vijay. It's very the Saint Vijay was actually from northern France, and he, southern, he, southern France. Southern France. Southern France. <laughs> he, he he played a little fife, and all the Vijays came out of the town and followed him. And then they were able to get rid of all the Vijays. This is related to Saint Milkshake. Oh, oh did it bring all the boys it to the yard? All the it boys to the yard. <laughs> so, well, no, but it was French, so it was Saint Moutet, <laughs> and it was like the creme fraiches to the yard or something. Ah, yeah, yeah, the creme fraiches to the yard. So the emissaries, the, those nobles, sent some emissaries to Venice. The emissaries sent to Venice arrived and met with the Doge, who is the prince slash president of life of the Republic of Venice, a man named Enrico, Enrico Dandolo. The Doge was pushing ninety, nearly blind, and filled with a hatred of the Byzantine. That is. Eastern Roman Empire, and its capital of of Constantinople. This will become relevant soon. The emissaries told the Doge that, quote, they had come on behalf of the high barons of France who had taken the cross, the sign of the cross, to avenge the shame of Jesus Christ and to reconquer Jerusalem if God wills it. The Doge and the government of Venice asked what the crusaders wanted from them. The response was a fleet capable of transporting 4,500 horses, 4,500 knights, 9,000 squires, 20,000 foot soldiers, along with food and fodder for nine months. In this, the emissaries exaggerated the... were extravagantly overestimating by as many as three times how many men had already signed up for the crusade. Did, was that just like under the assumption that more would sign up? Yes. <laughs> were yes. they right? Were no. They... <laughs> the Venetians responded that they could accommodate that request at four marks per horse and two marks per man, the total sum being 85,000 marks. A mark had about eight ounces of silver in it. I had to look this up, meaning that this would equal 680,000 ounces of silver, which when I was writing this, which was like late August, early September, would be about $14 million at today's prices in silver. At, at that time. I don't know if the price of yeah, silver has changed. Not like, that's probably not counting for like, like purchasing power. Oh, yeah. Right? No, no. That's just that's the straight... If you had 680,000 ounces of silver today, it would be worth $14 million. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all that that is. That's all I'm doing. Because it, 
but inflation would have actually been worth a lot oh, way more, more because way way more way way more i'm just saying that that's that's what that is uh the money was to be paid to the venetians no later than february 20th 1202 and that the crusaders would depart from venice by june 29th 1202 they would strike at cairo egypt and then march north to jerusalem nice uh, wait, wait, did mm-hmm. they get free gelato? <laughs> I feel like no. they should have gotten free gelato. Damn it. Once, once you get to know the Doge a little bit better, you'll know he didn't give anyone free gelato ever. Never, never trust a fucking Venetian. That's what I always say. <laughs> They're just all I've, for that tourist money. You've always said that. I've known you for like the better part of a decade. <laughs> Every other week, he's like, don't trust Venetians. It's a weird racial bias for him to hold. Yeah. It's very, 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 very 19th century. We were, at a, we were at a party in northern Wisconsin, and I was like, by the way... You ever run into a Venetian? <laughs> I've never run in into northern a Venetian. Wisconsin, that's <laughs> just, there's, like, there's one and a half. <laughs> in northern Wisconsin? That's yeah. that's generous. <laughs> because here's the thing, if you're a Venetian, you gotta stick around and you gotta give the tourists gelato. <laughs> <laughs> now now this is an interesting side note about um, uh, one of the, uh, one of the books I consulted for this uh, is a book called uh, from eighteen ninety five called The Byzantine Empire by British historian uh, Charles W.C. Oman, who apparently is the reason we use the word Byzantine to refer to the Eastern Roman Empire in English. Mm. Uh, he like popularized that, type, that name. Um, he, in his book, states the Venetians never wanted to attack Egypt because they had favorable trading privileges and always intended to divert the crusade. However, this was not present in the other books that I read. So the other two books that I looked at about the Fourth Crusade never mentioned that, but He's like, the Venetians didn't want to attack Egypt at all because they did really good business there. They always intended to do something else. So, But I know, historically speaking, Egypt was kind of like, everybody wanted to do business with yeah. Egypt. They had all yeah. kinds of shit always. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's, it, you know, you, it's the crossroads sort of mm-hmm. thing. You can always get stuff from everywhere else. Incense, frankincense, maybe yeah. a little myrrh. Yeah. Uh, so, when the ambassadors returned from Venice, they found that Theobald was dead, and thus a new leader was needed for the crusade. The nobles assembled in Soissons, France, and elected Boniface Marquess of Montferrat, himself of a long crusading lineage, but of no actual experience in the East, to be the new leader of the crusade. All right, so the ambassadors, uh, they come back, they find that they need, uh, they, th- this group of French nobles at Soissons, elect a guy named Marque, uh, the Boniface Marquess of Montferrat. And one last, almost trivial piece of information about Boniface is that his cousin is Philip of Swabia, the Holy Roman Emperor, who was married to Irene Angelina, daughter of Isaac II Angelos, Byzantine Emperor. Isaac had been deposed, blinded, and imprisoned by his brother, Alexius III. Isaac had a son also named Alexius, there's going to be a lot of names, and they're all the same, because it's the 1200s. There's like six names to choose from. (laughs) Isaac had a son named Alexius, who in 1201 arrived in Germany at the court of his brother-in-law, Philip, while Philip's cousin Boniface was there for Christmas. It is possible that at these meetings was first discussed how a crusading army could put an exiled Byzantine prince on the throne in Constantinople. However, like many things from the European Middle Ages, we don't know for certain. Wait, 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 wait. So what we're say, what what you're essentially saying is that in the backdrop of them being like, oh, we're gonna go to Jerusalem and mm-hmm. we're gonna like do do the whole crusade thing, mm-hmm. it was like, but also, while you're on your way, 
if you could just uh, quick St- stage a coup. Yeah, if you could just quit, get my brother's girlfriend's sister's best friend's roommate to like be on the, the Byzantine the, throne. Oh, okay. Yeah, I am saying that. Maybe we don't know for certain, though. We're, <laughs> We're not, not sure. Concerned. Was that I also part of God's orders? Was that uh, you know <laughs> I. I cannot recall. <laughs> <laughs> hey, God had this minor order: you overthrow the emperor. Mm. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> yada, yada yada yada. Like, I love your. I cannot recall just because. Like, yeah, God also had this minor order that you would like definitely funnel drugs to the Sandinistas and or <laughs> against the Sandinistas in Southern America so that Iran could get some anti-aircraft weapons. You know what? It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Shut up. I plead the fifth. <laughs> I do not recall. So there are Reagan. If anyone was wondering, well, Nancy (laughs) was Reagan at the Crusades. Actually, he was about that old. Yes, he was. (laughs) He was at the Crusades. I actually did the made-for-TV movie about the Crusades. You know, I always thought that uh, the Soviets (laughs) really, really put the damper on the Crusades. If if the Soviets wouldn't have all been a bunch of Muslims. We, we could have ended this a long time ago. Star Wars. Ah. I feel like the Reagan voice is kind of pedophilic. Like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> those are lies and slander. There's definitely not a room under my bedroom that is only accessed through a single door with a keypad that there's children in. That's never happened. Definitely Nancy not. quiet. So, <laughs> so we now have the three principal leaders of our crusade. And I'm going to quote from the historian Charles Oman, because he describes the three of them memorably. The doge in whom, quote, the ruthless energy of the Italian republics stood incarnate. Baldwin. And it also whistled at women when they didn't want them to. <laughs> yes. Baldwin, Count of Flanders, another of the idealistic young aristocrats who will come to the fore, quote, gallant and generous pious and debonair, worthy of a more righteous enterprise and a more honorable death. And Boniface of Montferrat, quote, a deep and hardy schemer to whom force and fraud seem equally good, was simply seeking for wealth and fame in the realms in the East. Okay, so I'm going <laughs> to... Dr. Sage Scholar has this tendency to do these long quotes mm-hmm. from, like, <laughs> days of yore. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to put this together... The fr- name the French guy again, Jesus Christ. Baldwin Count of Flanders, or the the Montferrat Montferrat, yeah, which yeah. is which has like ten letters in it. Montferrat. <laughs> um, I'm gonna pronounce it Wisconsin. Montferrat. Montferrat. No, no, it's Ferrat. I'm Just gonna call Montferrat. Can I call him Fart Sound, Rat? Make it sure. as Wisconsin sounding as possible. Oh, Montferrat. <laughs> Rat. Montferrat <laughs> Rat went on the crusade <laughs> and. <laughs> He was seeking eternal salvation. <laughs> Don't you know? Don't you know? Yeah, yeah. Up there in heaven, there's a whole egg, and you gotta watch out. Well, and the perch, the perch, they're always biting up in heaven. The perch are always biting up in heaven. That's true. And in hell, the bears and the Vikings keep winning Super Bowls. It's the worst. That's true. That's true. The Vikings never miss a field goal. <laughs> Let's 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 turn this back. All right, the Montfrey. 
Yeah, right. Boniface. Yeah, um, what did I call him? Mont Mont Fart Rat. Yeah, Mont Fart Rat. Mont Fart Rat. He he's basically saying in that quote that Mont Fart Rat is like a schemy, skeevy douchebag who yeah. like is mm-hmm. not. He's saying exactly what I said at the beginning of the top of the podcast, where it's like he doesn't give a fuck about anything. He just sees a big golden like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he sees the Mario flag at the end of the level where he's yeah, like, but like, uh, and, yeah, but yeah. Baldwin of Flanders. He also says it's like what I was describing with the uh, with the, the dream in the tomb. Right. So this is the idea that it, the Crusaders contain multitudes. Mm. Right. So like you've got on the one hand, Baldwin of Flanders, who seems like a true believer. Yeah. On the other hand, you have Boniface of Montferrat, who's not. Um, did did uh, Baldwin of Flanders get fucked with? Like did did he get the wool pulled over his eyes? Like uh, you just know, like... It, we'll we'll see, we'll see. Oh, okay. so so foreshadowing part two, <laughs> Zadar and excommunication. Oh, so in the summer of twelve o two, the Crusaders began to enter northern Italy to begin their campaign. The problem: not nearly enough of them arrived at Venice. <laughs> the summer launch date came and went. And the, as the Crusaders desperately waited for more people to arrive, so as to be able to pay the Venetians that they owed what they owed for the fleet, they're like sitting at the table at a restaurant, like at a nice restaurant, and they're like, "No, no, no, seriously, all my friends are going to show up. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not just sitting here like assholes. They're they're coming. They texted me. I swear. Did they text? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, ye old text off of, <laughs> but it's all, but it's all on, it's all on you. It's like an arrow with a message attached to it. Yeah, yeah. They were like, YOLO, and they didn't come, they didn't show up. It's, but it's all on ye old T-Mobile, so mm-hmm. it was really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, into this awkward, awkwardness the came. The pagers of history. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just a bunch of young boys running around with messages, pages. Yeah. Um, My holy space. (laughs) 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 Face on a spike book. Ah, Uh, Into this awkwardness, the doge came to the rescue. The crusaders could work off their debt to the Venetian Republic. (laughs) The city of Zadar, known as Zara in Italian, on the Adriatic coast in what is now Croatia, was in rebellion against Venice. If the Crusaders helped bring the truculent Croatians back into line, the debt would almost certainly be paid. There were two problems with this. The first is that Zadar was, and is, a Catholic city. The idea of a crusading army attacking a Catholic city was a no-go for the Pope, and for most of the Crusaders. The second was that Zadar was sworn, had sworn allegiance to the King of Hungary, who had also taken up the cross and was on this crusade, just not in Venice. But Boniface, not wanting to look stupid or inept, took up the Doge's offer. The army departed for Zadar with the Doge's assurance that the debt would absolutely 100% be paid, uh, and the crusade would then head for the Levant. Wait, they want, they're, they're going to sack Zadar? Yeah, mm-hmm. and that, that will definitely pay off all the money they owe the Venetians. 100%. Mm-hmm. Does it? We're going to find out. <laughs> Pope Innocent III sent a strong... <laughs> Pope Innocent III sent a strongly worded letter to the Crusaders and the Venetians that if they attacked Zadar, they would be excommunicated. A brief word on excommunication. This is the most severe penalty of, that the Catholic Church can impose on one of its members. It bars the person from receiving Holy Communion, which Catholics believe is the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ and is necessary for salvation. 
Thus, if a person is excommunicated and dies, let's say during the course of a dangerous military campaign, without being reconciled, they will almost certainly be condemned to hell. A, a version of this has happened to like Nancy Pelosi and John Kerry in the United States. Not quite. <laughs> no, no, I'm like several prominent Catholic Democratic politicians have excommunicated has to come from the Pope. They've been like placed under the interdict, which is a slightly different thing, but their bishop has said, you cannot receive communion because of your stance on abortion. Wow. Oh. Like that has happened to American Democratic Catholics. But like aren't American Catholics kind of like much more right wing than like the... Oh, I'm not not than the Pope, no. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, I mean, I like I like Pope Francis a lot, uh, but no, um, no. It, it's the question they, of the Catholic League or whatever. It's like really conservative. They are. I mean, they are really conservative, and and um, American Catholic bishops tend to be pretty conservative. But for instance, the Archbishop of Washington D.C., um, you know, Joe Biden is Catholic and has supported abortion rights very strongly, and. The Archbishop of Washington, D.C. has made it very clear that the president is welcome to come to Mass and receive communion. But if, for instance, the bishop in Arlington is like, he better not come here. No. The bishop of Arlington is a lot more conservative. And that's, you know, that's just, to give you an idea, it's not quite the same thing, but it's similar. So how do you think the Venetians and the Crusaders responded to this information about being excommunicated? They were like super chill. And they definitely decided to, like, ask for forgiveness. That's that's what you say. What do you think? Yeah, they probably were like, whatever, man. You think they were like, whatever, man? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they decided to go surfing, actually. Like, oh, they're just like, going to go <laughs> do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, hey, man, everybody's got their, like, opinions. Let's go catch some witched, wicked gnar. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> they're like, you know what I'm going to do? Have sex with an underage girl. That's what I'm going to do. They all, they all turned into Matthew McConaughey real quick. Like, yeah. All right, all right, all right. All right. So the Venetians responded with the diplomatic equivalent of a shrug. They don't care. The Crusaders had oh, a... you win. You win on that one. <laughs> that's <laughs> literally what McCath that's what Matthew McConaughey has done in every decision he's made in the last thirty years. He's not like that. <laughs> um, the Crusaders uh, they they had a more they were more mixed in reaction. Some of them actually went home uh, after being told they'd be excommunicated if they did this. They're like, well, then this isn't worth it anymore. Um, not wanting to be a part of this anymore. Others believe that this would be better, everything would be better once they took Jerusalem, right? Once they actually finished, once they took Jerusalem, everything would be better, and this was just a hiccup along the road. So on to Zadar they went. Zadar was captured and sacked in November of 1202, and the excommunication order was carried out against the Crusaders in the Republic of Venice. So now the Crusading army is outside of the Catholic Church. Whoa. Which is weird. Plot twist. Yep. Being that it was winter, the Crusaders decided to wait along the Adriatic coast for spring. Into this nadir arrived Philip of Swabia with the offer from a young Byzantine prince, Alexius. Alexius said, help me overthrow my uncle and you will get the following. One, Constantinople would submit to the Roman Catholic Church, ending the Great Schism. Two, 200,000 silver marks to be divided between the Venetians and the Crusaders. Three, supplies for one year of campaigning in the Holy Land. Four, 10,000 soldiers from the Byzantine Empire. And five, he, Alexius, would pay to maintain a force of 500 knights in the Levant for the rest of his life. The crusader, facing the fact that they were excommunicated and still in debt to the Doge, 
weirdly enough, the sack of Zadar had not cleared the debt to the Venusian Republic. <laughs> agreed to the terms. There was one hitch. Alexius was about 21 years old and had absolutely no authority to offer any of this. On to Constantinople. I'm not yet. <laughs> Part three, the year of five emperors. The Crusaders set sail for Constantinople in the spring of 1203. Arriving in the late spring and early summer, the Crusaders and their Venetian allies began a siege. A memorable moment, and one that should have alerted the Crusader to the young Alexius's uselessness, was when the Doge dressed up the young prince in imperial regalia and paraded him beneath the walls of the city. As they went along, the Venetians called out, quote, Do you recognize the young Alexius as your lord? The point of this was to stir up trouble within the walls. The response from the defenders was, quote, We don't recognize him and we don't know who he is. <laughs> Seems redundant, but actually it's not. Where you're like, we don't recognize him as a king. And also, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> the siege continued. Wait, where is this? Constantinople. Oh, this is Constantinople. Yeah. yeah. They're, like, they're like, is he hung? Like, no. And he's like, fuck him. Not our emperor. Not my emperor. <laughs> on, on you old Twitter. You gotta, I mean, if you don't have some serious dick pick game back in the Byzantine Empire, you can't be emperor. Dick pick description game. Wasn't there a, one of the emperors married a, a prostitute who ended up becoming, sorry, I should say sex worker, married a sex worker who had, ended up becoming empress and was actually pretty badass, if I remember so, correctly. So I think you're thinking of Justinian. Oh, yeah, But yeah. She, wasn't, she wasn't a sex worker. That, that's a, that was a lie. She was an actress. Oh. And they just said that she was. Because they <laughs> she didn't, didn't like do it her. for money. She did it for parts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, porn stars. Hey, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not sex work if it's on camera. No, it still is, but it's not prostitution if it's on camera. Okay. On July 17th, I've been told that. 1203, a general assault was launched on the city's walls. Now, the assault failed, but in the confusion of the retreat, the Venetians set fire to a large portion of the city. This caused the emperor, Alexius III, to abandon the city to the invaders. Isaac II, the young Alexius's father, was released from prison. He reluctantly agreed to the, son, to the deal his son had made the year before and was crowned with his son as co-rulers on August 1st, 1203. There had now been three emperors in Constantinople since August 1st, Alexius III, Isaac II, and Alexius IV. The Crusaders expected to be able to move on to the Levant as soon as possible, but scrounging together 200,000 marks was nearly, an impo was nearly impossible, and so the Crusaders had to stay over the winter of 1203 to 1204. Entering into the story... Oh, were, they, were they cool? During that time? Oh, we're going to find out. <laughs> How many times am I going to foreshadow this episode? Mm -hmm. Foreshadow. I think, I think your, new, your new like production name should be Freddy Foreshadowing. Thank you, Freddy Foreshadowing. <laughs> so entering into this story is yet another Alexius. Alexius Ducas was of a long line of Byzantine aristocrats. He had been imprisoned by Alexius III, who was the one the Crusaders overthrew. But Alexius IV freed him and made him his steward, a sort of prime minister. Ducas had a nickname, Murtasophilus, which apparently was either a humorous reference to his eyebrows or the, about his sullen character. Wait, wait, wait. What was his name? Mortsophilus. Mortsophilus? Mortsophilus? Yeah. It's referring, to his eye, it's referring to his eyebrows or his sullen character. 
Because, like, mort, like, I know enough Spanish to know mort generally means, like, dead. Like, it's like Yeah, but death, this is like, Greek, I think. Yeah, but, I mean, romance language, right? Greek isn't a romance language. We're going to cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't Latin come from Greek, right? No, so it's like, Latin is its own thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I give up. Fair enough. So, um... He's made the sort of steward prime minister. He hated the Crusaders. This Alexius Ducas hated the Crusaders. And Why? Had... <laughs> <laughs> no, they were arrogant so asses. Nice. Oh my god! How dare you hate the Crusaders? They were like super chill and shit. They didn't do anything wrong. Um, and he also had nothing but contempt for this young Alexius the Fourth. So over the winter of 1203 to 1204, in an effort to pay the Crusaders, Alexius IV angered everyone. In the words of Oman, again, uh, this, this British historian, quote, he angered the Franks by insincere diplomacy and the Greeks by his reckless schemes from ex- for extracting money from them. He apparently seized and melted down the gold and silver from the Hagia Sophia, which is that massive, <laughs> yeah. now mosque in, in, yeah. in Istanbul, in I know what it, had been a church. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonder in Civilization yeah, 6. It's an yeah, amazing yeah. wonder. Yeah, it's I, probably I'm always, I, always bait, I always build it if I can. So this <laughs> led to anti-Catholic riots uh, and Mertesophilus staging a palace coup, uh, during which he strangled the young emperor with a bowstring. By February 1st, 1204, there was a new emperor, Alexius V. He ordered the crusaders to leave. They refused. So, in March of 1204, the Crusaders, undoubtedly cheered on by the Doge, decided that the only way to continue on with the Crusade was to seize Constantinople for themselves. This made some uneasy, but clergymen in the army consoled them by calling the people in Constantinople, quote, schismatics, and full of sin for having helped (laughs) murder an emperor. Meanwhile, the leader... Isn't Isn't the word schismatics... Isn't that like a fucking Pearl Jam album or something? (laughs) Yes. That is actually true. (laughs) Well, that was reason enough to sack the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know what? An alternative band from the 90s is going to take this name. And you know what? We got to represent. (laughs) So that's actually, they stole so many pearls from the city that it was a real Pearl Jam. mm -hmm. And they, yeah, that's how they did that. Yep, definitely. All right, we'll cut that joke out. (laughs) Meanwhile, the leadership of the crusade drew up plans for how to share the plunder. They would partition the empire, elect their own emperor, and divide the spoils. This is from the Dream in the Tomb. Quote, they swore on relics that they would bring all the gold and silver and precious cloths to a central pool where everything would be divided. They also swore on relics that they would despoil no women of their garments. Anyone who did so would be condemned to death. And that they would not lay a hand on monks or priests or break into churches and monasteries. Once they had captured Constantinople... All these admirable oaths would be forgotten. Let, let's go into a little bit more. Despoil women of their garments. Mm-hmm. That sounds a lot like a euphemism to me. Is yeah. that a euphemism? That's oh, definitely yeah. a euphemism. Oh, okay. All right. There's nothing funny about that. I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> so the second siege of Constantinople, right? The Crusaders had laid siege to it the year before. Took it over for the, the young Alexius. They're now laying siege to it again. Lasted less than two months. The Crusaders launched two assaults, the first on April 9th, which failed, and then again on April 12th, which succeeded. Alexius V fled the city. The city was sacked for three days. Okay. Now, it was normal in the Middle Ages, it was normal for cities to be put to the sack. 
That was a normal thing. But this one was a <laughs> put, put to the sack. Yeah, yeah. That is the you phrase. Wrap it up in a, <laughs> in a bag sack. and then throw it. <laughs> it's it's much like a bag tag in uh, in. You know what a bag tag is? Do you know what a bag tag is? All right. So when I was growing up in in very trashy Wisconsin, a bag tag was when one of your friends walked up to you and hit you in the testicles as hard as they could with the back of their knuckles. <laughs> right? So it was a little bit, when they were put to the sack, it meant like, huh! you're going to just have to deal with that from now on. You're going to have to it's just... A lot, it's that, a lot, that's it's, what happened. It's a lot of sense. rape, murder, and plunder. That's what it is. But the sack of Constantinople was particularly thorough. Like, it is an extreme example of this and most historians agree that this is because the crusaders still owed money to the venetians and wanted to pay off their debt so they stole everything that wasn't nailed down the sack was also thorough because the number of holy relics in constantinople that could be made (laughs) off with like those famous horses that are in venice like the that are outside saint mark's cathedral in venice are from constantinople (laughs) they never gave them back no they were not they will god no I don't think the I don't think the Turkish government wants them. They're from the Byzantine Empire. Uh, oh, they yeah. they got kind of like a yeah, but a, like they kind of like yeah. got away with that. Yeah, they got yeah. away with that one. They're like, oh, yeah. the Turks don't give a shit about this. <laughs> no, we can just keep selling gelato. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> never trust a Venetian. Never ever because they're gonna plunder never trust a Venetian because they're gonna they're gonna steal your horses, <laughs> put them out in front of their cathedral, feed them gelato. <laughs> And they'll get fat. They'll be the fattest horses you've ever seen just eating gelato on their dumb fucking island. And that look gets fun all the time. Oh, are you safe from global warming? No, you're Venice. Oh. <laughs> they finally get in their come up. <laughs> That's why we do global warming. <laughs> it's a Byzantine plot. It's not a Chinese plot. Byzantine plot. I mean, the blade it's stage. A bi- Late stage Byzantine revenge for the sack of Constantinople. Um, so they, most historians agree that uh, the reason for the thoroughness of the sack of Constantinople was that the Crusaders still owed money to the Venetians and wanted to pay off the rest of their debt. Uh, and it also was thorough because Constantinople had so many uh, holy relics that could be made off with. In the end, the Crusaders looted 550,000 marks. Whoa. Of this, 450000 was reserved for the barons and to pay off the Venetians. <laughs> Those fucking Venetians. <laughs> Those fucking Venetians. They get you every day. I also, I have to say, too, that, like, it, especially for any listener who isn't aware of this, holy relics at this time were like, it was like big business. Very big business. I'm pretty sure. Really? How, how many teeth does an adult have i don't actually know because i'm really bad at science i don't remember it's like 24 right it's like 24 28 teeth Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure jesus had about 357 teeth in europe at the time (laughs) (laughs) there's like you see these teeth jesus for sure saint paul had at least six shin bones (laughs) (laughs) he was a really good soccer player (laughs) saint paul of soccer saint paul the uh, patron saint of soccer. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> So this left about 100,000 marks for the lesser ranks. A knight would receive 20 marks, a priest or squire 10 marks, and a foot soldier 5 marks. Seems so, a little unfair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems extremely unfair. Did the foot soldiers get mad about that? No. 
<laughs> they were just like, oh, uh, five yeah, marks. Yeah. Yep. I'm coming uh, yeah, up, yeah. so you better get this party started. Uh, I'm sure they didn't expect to get anything. So it's like. Yeah. <laughs> so the crusade had now finally sunk into the quagmire of distraction. The barons could not simply leave. They had conquered the Byzantine Empire. To leave was to allow all that they had won, and I'm putting that in air quotes, <laughs> to slip away. Thus, they wrote up a kind of constitution. There would be 12 electors, six Venetian and six French. They made an electoral college, so you know they're, they're good guys. Mm. <laughs> six French and six Venetian. And they would elect a Latin, that is, Catholic emperor. Whoever lost the election, French or Venetian, would nominate the Patriarch of Jerusalem, a rank of cleric that is just below the Pope himself. Venice would retain all of the rights that it possessed historically within the empire. Now, remember Boniface of Montferrat? Uh, he had married Margaret of Hungary, Isaac II's widow, and thus believed that he was a shoe-in for being made emperor. However, the Venetians did not want him, and thus it was that Baldwin of Flanders became Emperor Baldwin I on <laughs> May 16, 1204. There had been five men to wear the crown of the Eastern Roman Empire since the previous July. The fucking Baldwins get everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Alex, oh, it's another Baldwin in a starring role. All right, <laughs> Jesus. The number, the number of medieval Baldwins is is astronomical. Really? It's like, oh, it's so many Baldwins. There's at least four Baldwins who are king of Jerusalem. The Wait, there's there's more Baldwins in medieval history than in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> That but only by me. but only by like two. <laughs> yeah, it's very close. It's yeah. very close. How many of them were in the Dungeons and Dragons movie? Because that <laughs> <laughs> from the Middle Ages. <laughs> Being that they were all dead, I'm gonna go with zero. Baldwin of Flanders. They reference one. Actually, they reference one. <laughs> um, so so the Crusades, having lost their momentum, decided to end here, uh, and they never stepped foot in Asia. They never, they never they, made it. Wait, they never made it. D even close, anywhere close to where they just, they were like, we, we took Constantinople, we're done. But it was really about the lessons you learned along the way. Like. <laughs> Friendship was the real, was the real treasure. Hey, hey, those who wander are never lost. All right, Tolkien told me that. So in December, before I end, this is my last paragraph. In December of 1204, the unfortunate Alexius V was captured and brought back to Constantinople. The Crusaders, wanting a clean break from the Greek-Byzantine past, debated how they should get rid of him. They found him guilty of treason against Alexius IV and sentenced him to death. The Doge commented that he was too tall to be hanged, so instead they <laughs> threw him off the top of the column of Theodosia. Do you make it? No. <laughs> <laughs> he, went, he went, and this is a technical historian term, Kersplat. Curse splat. Oh, okay, good. If you only go splat, you might make it. Yeah, but but curse splat, that's you're pretty done. fatal. You're done. So, so what do we learn from this crusade? Um, what, 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 nothing. What do we? We learn nothing. <laughs> I, I, I mean, if, if you if you really want to dig into it, I think I think uh, actual lessons are are things like planning military operations much harder than uh, than than one would expect. Right, like the Crusaders went into this going, oh yeah, 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 we'll definitely have 4,500 knights with another 4,500 squires, which is 9,000 noblemen and 20,000 infantry. They, they had maybe a third of that total. Um, had to sack Constantinople. <laughs> yeah, but, but, only, but only because that was like a ramshackle, you know, already on its last legs kind of thing. Uh, I don't think they would have made it to Jerusalem 
Like if even if the, like the Venetians hadn't you know sort of conned them into into fighting in in the Balkans, if they'd gone to Egypt, they they would have lost. There weren't it's, enough of them. It seems like the lesson here was uh, to spoil women, get money. Uh, <laughs> 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 Step PSA. one: to spoil women. <laughs> Step two: <laughs> question mark. Step three: profit. Uh, this, this, from Doctor Sage Scholar, um, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you, you, I mean, it's, I, it's really it's really important to me that that not be lesson taken. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was their kind of. Uh, I, I think that was the lesson the Venetians took. I'm pretty uh, sure the Venetian. Uh, okay, part of the lesson. I'm gonna get real close to the microphone for this because it's very important. <laughs> Don't trust a Venetian. <laughs> They'll get you every time. Do you think? Do you think the Fourth Crusade had? Uh, let Let's give it the leadership of the First Crusade, um, right? If it had the leadership of the First Crusade, I think that's an interesting question because, like that, that speaks to the, the part of the problem is they decided not to march to the. To to the Levant. They didn't they decide not uh, because the first three crusades all march to Jerusalem. They literally walk. Yeah, they literally the first that and, and that's a long way. It is oh, a long way. It takes it takes about a year, like fully, oh, like 12 shit. months to march from from France to uh what is now Syria and Israel and Palestine. Yeah. Um and so the fourth crusade thought they were being clever by building ships. That this would be this would be faster, be a better way of doing it. They had understood that the center of gravity of the Islamic empires had moved to Egypt. That was the reason why Egypt was their target. Oh, because uh, if you land in Egypt, you conquer Egypt. You already you're already wrong footing them, mm-hmm. right? Like you're yeah, already putting, yeah and you're and you're and you're you're seizing their center of gravity, right? Like Cairo and Alexandria were cities that had lots of soldiers in them, or would be, you know have lots of people in them lots of money, um, and marching up through along the edge of the Sinai was easier than marching down from Turkey, right? Just and at least on a map. Yeah, because the Levant, that's all fucking mountains. Yeah. Like between, like it's more or less right, like well, that and, southern and, and, yeah, section Anatolia, of Turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, all it's mountains. mountains. Exactly. So so that they thought they were being clever to do that. And, and part of it is, is that, you know, if you, you know, one of the questions in history is, how important are individuals, but like the Doge is clearly cleverer than the Crusaders' leaders, right? He clearly maneuvers them into doing things that they didn't want to do. Even like Boniface of Montferrat was like probably not super psyched to sack Catholic cities and just went, eh, fine. Um, <laughs> well, we're here. We're, exactly. <laughs> but I don't think it would have been his like first choice if you'd asked him. What yeah, do you yeah. want to do? Like, the, none of these crusaders wanted to do it this way. And again, a lot of crusaders left after the threat of excommunication and more left after they were excommunicated and more left once they made it to Constantinople. Like, some went on their own. They left the crusading army and attempted to go to, to Syria and Palestine on their own. Uh, they didn't make it very far. Did they win? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the idea that maybe if, like, the leaders of the First Crusade aren't that much better. Like the reason the first crusade succeeds is that the Islamic world is in the middle of essentially a civil war. Oh, so they when don't the really see it coming. Yeah, yeah they didn't yeah. see it coming. Um, the, the Fatimid Shia Egyptians had held Jerusalem when the crusade was proclaimed. 
and the Seljuk Turks, who were Sunni, had taken Jerusalem in between. So when the Crusaders made it to Jerusalem in 1299, in the, or in 1099, in the First Crusade, the, Jerusalem is being held by Sunni Seljuk Turks instead of Shia Fatimid Egyptians, which means the Egyptians aren't helping the Turks defend Jerusalem because they're like, you're the wrong sect of Islam. And then they take Jerusalem from the Turks, but then the Egyptians come to take it back and, and the, the crusaders are like, well, we'll defend us ourselves. And the Turks are like, well, you're on your own, Egypt. We're not going to help you retake the city. <laughs> so like there, and the reason Saladin takes Jerusalem in the 1180s is because he finally conquered all of the regions around the crusader states. So there's one sort of state surrounding the the crusaders were very adept at playing groups of muslims off of each other oh sure of getting one group of muslims to go fight another group of muslims to and and, and it was you could actually no modern parallels no uh, and, you, and, you, one. and you could tell the difference between crusaders from europe and crusaders from the levant because crusaders from the levant were not nearly as fanatical mm. uh they were like oh no those are the good muslims Oh, <laughs> they're the ones we need to be able to like survive and the crusaders from Europe are like all of them must die yeah, and, yeah, the, yeah. and the crusaders who were there are like hey guys chill the fuck out like do you know how many more of them there are than we are and like, <laughs> like no shh, 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 shh. we kill the first group <laughs> and then we go to the second group but you're really throwing a whole wrench in the whole thing here guys because like if the two groups get together, mm-hmm. we're yeah. kind of fucked. Mm-hmm. We're kind of, uh, yeah. what, I, what I want to know mm-hmm. is why there's not a Venetian gelato flavor called Sack of Constantinople. <laughs> I, I, I believe that's called chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much they enjoyed it. Because no, ta- no one likes the taste of death. All right, we'll cut that one out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I thought there was more to that joke. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, it's just uh, if you get people to sack Constantinople and you're Venetian, then, you know, you kind of deserve it. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I'm confused. I don't think Constantinople deserved to be sacked. I'm going to go on record. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Unpopular right. opinion. I don't think they should have done it. They shouldn't have? No. Mm. <laughs> Wait, but were they Catholic in Constantinople? No. Well, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dr. Sage Scholar is Catholic, so I'm yeah. just trying to I'm trying to win points with you for our next podcast where you really like give me the <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You know what? Those Catholics should have done that because reasons. <laughs> uh. On that note, <laughs> that is our show for today. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening. Yeah. Don't do a fourth crusade. Yeah. 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 Don't do it. And zero out of 10 would not recommend. <laughs> would not recommend. <laughs>